Welcome all to a continuation of a really sugi that's, that's, that, that we've been developing and dealing with over the last few weeks. And so nice to see so many faces here again who we haven't seen for so long. And I love the, the kind of the, the stilted approach that many people um, use when, when approaching, you know, the staggering. I found that, that, that staggering, staggering attendance. I like that. I like that. It would be boring for me to look at the same faces every day because then the kind of the continuity and the momentum that we hold up would be like synergetic. Whereas over here, many of you provide me the opportunity for creativity to be able to, in the first few minutes, sum up everything that you may have missed the next day. So the kind of irregularity, the intermittent attendance, I find nothing short of inspiring. I just want to thank you for that. Um, and just kind of show my appreciation because I think it, that, that's really important and I want you, want you all feel that way. So the the sugi that we've been exploring has kind of taken on two different aspects. The one is the sheltering, the the creating a, a barrier between me and the other. And the other one is the lift, reducing that barrier, letting it down and allowing me to connect with, with um, out any kind of boundaries and barriers. And the latter sugya we refer to as vulnerability. And the former sugya we refer to as wisdom. And in relating to the former sugya of wisdom, we've been exploring what the Rambam describes in, in the realm of even when a person eats and the way we relate to food and the act of eating, it becomes significant in terms of, well, how does, how does a person who carries chokhmah eat? What does it look like? And I was just perusing over this Rambam, and I haven't completely contained everything he said because there's so much more, but I tried to categorize what he's saying, and I discovered at least 10 categories of the way that we interact with, with food and different components of how they can be elevated. And because food is such a basic human need, and so unavoidable. So then having an approach to eating is, I would reckon, pretty important. And the beauty of this Rambam is he's not even dealing with what one would call the Jewish dietary laws of kashrut. It's, it's assuming everything is kosher. That's actually when it begins, not when it ends. Another point is that Possibly what the Rambam is describing is for, for me personally, it's, it's a goalpost. It's not, it's not, it's so, it's pretty far away from me at this point in time as we'll go through one after another. Some are a little bit closer and some way further away. Let's, let's go how the Rambam points. So he says the Chochem has to express himself through the way he eats. And the first thing, the first point he makes is Loye Gragran, which means point number one is. The, there's there's something which in the way of eating, you shouldn't be scoffing things down your throat, which is uh, the, the manner of eating. You know the, the way the way the desire for food works. If you imagine you could remove all social constraints and give everyone the most delicious hamburger they've ever experienced in their life. And the particular hamburger would be hard to, know, hard to, hard to manage. 
sometimes sometimes hamburgers are hard to manage when, especially if they like two buns and multiple fillings and loads of like let's say there's four patties all superbly grilled to your perfect taste with the finest of all mincemeats garnished with the most delectable of sauces and adorned with just the right amount of lettuce a sprinkle of onions and of course for those who like it the ubiquitous tomato and you, you, you're confronting this hamburger, which is sitting in front of you, beckoning, beckoning to you, saying, eat me, eat me. And there's no one around. And no one's finding out about this. There's no cameras. And you and the hamburger can let loose. What happens next? I'll tell you what would most probably happen with me. It would be a literal episode of marauding hamburger. I would attack it. By the end of the hamburger experience, I would probably need a shower. <laughs> because it will be just stuffing the food in my face, not caring about the debris of the onion that got caught on my ear, really engaging in a full-fledged battle of the hamburger. Much like an animal devours its prey. That would be the unbridled desire to eat, the desire for food expressed without social constraints is the trying to get that food into this tummy as quickly and as ferociously as possible. But social constraints, people will look at me askance, I won't, I'll lose my status as a rabbinic personage, can't do it. So I kind of, against my will, take out the knife and fork and battle the burger with that. So the first point is the Rambam says, in your most secret place, and no one is looking and no one can see, that's the point where you show who you really are. Because the chains of, cons chains of constraint remain loose and you can be the real you. And if at that point in time you are gargaran, you are attacking your food, that's not good. So that's something which personally I would probably have to work on. Step number one, the manner in which you eat the food. Number two, yeah, it's tricky. The Ram says the intention of the choice of food, it should be healthy food. Meaning, and this is where he began begins to show that eating food and the choice of the kind of food is a philosophical choice, not necessarily a nutritional one. Because when a person has nutritional aspirations in his meal, it indicates that he's aligned to the notion of what eating is all about, which is to sustain a body in order that I can be effective in my life. Just like when you go to... Imagine if you took your car to the gas station... And imagine for a moment, your car could speak. And your car said, ah, we're going there again. You say back to your car, what do you mean? He said, I hate that gas. That petrol stinks. So, well, where do you want to go? Well, I don't know. Like, I mean, first of all, I also, I'm not getting, I'm getting a little bit fed up with 95. <laughs> can, can I go somewhere where there's 98? So, you say the car, well, I mean, I mean, you're going to run the same. Like, what difference does it make if it's 95 there or 95 somewhere else or 98? It's not going to really make a significant difference. 
And the car starts to kind of give you a lot of lip and say, I'm not going. I'm literally not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm actually not going to do it. It starts like driving in the opposite direction. You, say, you, say, you look at the car, you got Mr. Mashugana. Mr. Mashugana, the car says, I don't speak Yiddish. So the car, listen, bro. <laughs> the point of the petrol brother is to fuel you so you can run. So the car says, oh, so tell me, buster. You say, don't you call me buster. The car says, listen, who's driving here? So <laughs> tell me, buster. Tell me, buster. Why'd you eat? Isn't it the same as like filling up your tank so you can do stuff? So why do you only frequent Benyak or Falafel? <laughs> What's wrong with the mirrors? Hey. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing. The Kufa means I have this conscious recognition that, that food is a secondary and life is a primary. And when that relationship becomes shifted, so then the opposite starts to occur. And a person starts to create, instead of food being a means to an end, it becomes an end in its own right, as we expanded upon yesterday, the restaurant culture whereby the point of eating becomes exaggerated, sometimes to a ludicrous t- degree, where it could even be that the taste and the, the texture and the, the, the appearance of the food not only don't facilitate a fueling station, but they can be actually counterproductive. And after a meal, instead of a person feeling recharged, regenerated, filled up with the kind of stuff which is going to make his life more engaging, he may feel, she may feel depleted, no energy, bloated, and just ready to go to sleep, which is seemingly the opposite of life. So imagine if instead of eating to live, you eat to die. So the Rambam says, orientation, the manner in which you eat, <coughs> controlled. Keep that desire at bay. The food that you choose should facilitate the direction of the purpose of eating, and it shouldn't be distorted. Matthew expanded upon yesterday. And then the Rambam says, what about the portion? The portion, he says, it shouldn't be an achilagasa. An achilagasa means when a person eats to the point where the next piece of food has nothing to do at all with hunger. <laughs> You're like looking at this, this remained on your plate and your hunger expired halfway through the meal. So what happens to me. My hunger runs out in the middle of the first portion. So I think to myself, well, I better get a second portion. <laughs> Stomach comments and says like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty full. Like, if you stuff some more food down your gullet, it's going to make me rather uncomfortable. What do you feel about that? I say, tough luck. I'm going for, like, the squashing down food. No control. To the degree that there's actually a verse which says, Tzadik oichel, the soy A tzadik eats to the satiation of himself. And the Rambam actually, in his, um, in a previous chapter, says that a person for health reasons, should always leave a little bit of space so that he's not totally stuffed by the end of a meal. For me, that's, wow, that's a big challenge. But can you start to see how 
the chokhmah, the wisdom, starts to inhabit this most basic process in the manner in which we eat, in the portion size, how much of it do we eat, and of course, in what we choose to fill our tummies with. And then he goes on and he says, the next point is, this is, this is, this is like cool. This is cool. When the Chochem eats this amount that's perfectly suitable for him, listen to this. The location of where you eat, very specific, in your home, at your table. Whoa. Now, obviously, the Rambam lived in a pre-McDonald's generation. What would if we would come to the Rambam and say, should a Chochem frequent a fast food joint? He'd probably say no. Then you'd go further and say, what about a fancy Italian restaurant? He'd say, how odd, how odd. Because he goes on and he says, don't eat in a shop. I imagine restaurant, certainly not in a marketplace. Unless there's a real urgency, you've been starving and there's no other choice. And why shouldn't you do that? Now listen to this. This is profound. So you shouldn't make yourself disdainful in front of people. What? One second. We look upon going to a restaurant, or I don't know what you look upon. I look upon going to a restaurant as a treat, a night out, a time to wine and dine. And the Rambam comes to me and says, I want you to rethink this. You're eating amongst a whole lot of people, and they all, they are the, they're all eating. Like, what's it all about? He said, well, what do you mean? He said, like, aren't you embarrassed? I say, embarrassed about what? He goes, embarrassed about eating. You say, oh, what's embarrassing about eating? So now the Rambam catches me of God. He says, you mean you're not embarrassed to eat? I go, no. Eating is the most natural thing that you could do. So now I continue the dialogue with myself. So what is other natural things I do? Well, um, I go to the toilet. So do you do that in a public place as well? No. <laughs> not me. Not me, no. In China they do, which is fascinating. In, Chi- in China they have they have rows. I, I don't know if they still do, but they certainly historically did. They had rows of toilets lined up, and you could simultaneously catch up with your friend whilst you know vacating. Right. So so, but but in Judaism, and we're going to see the Rambam's going to actually expound ironically about toileting, but. It's so natural. There's nothing more natural in the world than disposing of your bodily waste. Literally. So why do we make these secluded booths? Why do we keep it hush-hush generally? Certainly from the Jewish perspective, it's looked upon something which should be done in a very quiet and protected place. At your table. I beg your pardon? (laughs) At your table. No, 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 no. no. It's totally weird. 
Yeah. Smell. That wasn't funny, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like even remotely appropriate. Well, it's, a it's, 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 a, it's a disgusting act. It's a disgusting act. Compared to eating. Compared to acting. So, so that's interesting. In other words, the putting the food in your body is okay. Getting the food out your body is not okay because it smells. Which is interesting. You could, uh, yeah, you could argue that. It's unhygienic, it spreads diseases, it's, it's waste. In other words, so the, the, the sh- getting rid of the waste, because there's an unpleasant smell associated with it, and possibly there's a risk of disease and contamination, so we should keep that hush hush. Right? Well, we spoke a few, uh, we spoke a few, uh, this year ago about how, like, there's a spiritual basis for us being repelled right. and that kind of stuff. Right. So it, it makes sense that we want to be more private Excellent. about things that we're naturally repelled. Excellent. Excellent. So, in other words, it's much easier to understand the need for seclusion when it comes to toileting because of the, what you said. But eating seemingly is what's wrong with eating? So the Rambam seemingly associates some level of disdain with eating. So before we, we expand on this further, I'm just going to ask Adam what he has to say. Um, even according to the Rambam, yeah. she doesn't say don't eat in front of other people. It just says at your table, and your family's there. Well, he would, look, what, look what he says. What, what? He doesn't say... He says you shouldn't eat in a shop. He shouldn't, you, should, you shouldn't eat in a shop, which would be a restaurant. You shouldn't eat in a public place, um, unless it's for a huge need. And um, you shouldn't eat at a place where there's lots of other people around either. If it's a big meal, you shouldn't go there either. So if there's a big meal, no, like in a dining room, no, dining rooms are out. In fact, the only time you should eat in a public forum if it's a Sudesh mitzvah, if it's celebrating some kind of elevated event. But otherwise, you shouldn't have, shouldn't engage in public meal. So now let's start to, to break this down. Let, let's start to think about Chochmah. And let's start to think about the essence of, of who we are. And what does it mean spiritual ascendance? And what does it mean transcendence? And what does it mean Kedusha? Like this. We recognize that the Chochmah is the component of our beings which is transcendent, eternal, supernatural. And I would embody that in my life. How do I do that? I emphasize, I bring to the table that part of me. And the part of me that isn't in that elevated status, I keep under wraps. That's not the part of me I want to use as a form of interaction and expression. There are multiple parts to a person. But I, when I show up, what am I showing up with? Am I showing up in my best version? Or am I showing up in my lowest version? The radical transformation of my perception makes the Rambam here on the spot is that eating is not your best version. Eating is a basic necessity you need to do because since you're thrust into this temporal realm, as part of being a physical being, you have to embrace that physicality through the process of eating. But that's not your best game. In fact, that's an acknowledgement of the mortality of the lower part of self. So the Rambam is now shifting the goalposts further than I could have imagined. And he said, even the actual act of eating should be kept in the private domain because it's an admission. It's a reflection 
of the lower part of self. This is almost, now you start to understand what seems to be this paradoxical or even contradiction to vulnerability, which is this openness. And if I'm vulnerable, I say, bro, I eat. I have to put it out there. I'm an eater. I literally take away food with me for a few days, just expire. No, so you have to almost, you have to shelter isn't that, do you understand how the contradiction, the chasm between vulnerability and chokhmah is starting to widen? Because over here, this is something you do. And this is something everyone knows that you do. And still keep it hidden. Don't expose that. So this is what I mean by the opposite of vulnerability is you want to bring your best game to the, to the fore and hide, hide the reality of who you are. Seems, seems strange. Riga, go. I see um, shifting the reality of that um, that finite experience of eating when we say blessings over the food. We certainly are. We're transcending the experience. We certainly are. We certainly are. Um, great question. Question number one. Question number two. In the Jewish tradition, there are certain circumstances where eating becomes a venerable act. A modern expression of this is within the Hasidic world, where one of the highlights of the week is what's called the tish. Tish is the Yiddish word for table. And we are all invited to attend the leader, the Rebbe's tish. We sit with him at his meal. And the goal of the tish is ironically... To watch him eat. Which seems the antithesis of what the Rambam is saying. Instead of him keeping it private, he actually makes it a public deck. Excellent question coming from Riga, bringing a solid contradiction to what we're saying. Over to you, Daniel Lewis. Um, when it comes to, so you, like you're saying that you, you want to keep these parts of yourself hidden, that you mm. That you go to the bathroom or Right, keep those parts hidden. Um, no, those aren't the parts that you want to show to the world. No. But I mean, when you when the Rambam says you need to be vulnerable and tell everyone or tell a whole group of people what you what you did wrong, those are also not parts that you want to show. Right, to right. So you're echoing the contradiction that I just stated a yeah, couple of I minutes ago. Thank you for reinforcing that. It's always good to read. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so. Hmm. Um, <coughs> Mm. So let's think about this. This is, this is uh, do you know it's, it's quite interesting. Sometimes there's an exercise people do to to to. It's like a, it's a sobering exercise, even for people who aren't drunk. And you, you get people together and you say hi guys. They go hi, expecting like a nice, pleasant interaction. So we're going to be writing obituaries today. Okay, obituaries for those people who don't know long words means the thing that you write after a person dies, like in their in their honor. So they go, okay, well, who's the obituary are we going to be writing? And say, your own. Like, what would you like people to say about you after you die? And like they're saying, that, what would you, what, how would you like to be remembered? So I don't know. Um, I do know there was, uh, ironically, there was this, this article written over a certain personage, and they actually wrote about him, how he could dine at the finest restaurants. I don't know if I want that written about me. Like, he was so greedy, he went from restaurant to restaurant 
to fulfill his base passion for food. Okay? Wow. That's a nice thing to say. I would much rather people say things like philanthropy, devotion to wisdom, self-sacrifice, not, whoa, you put on that, that oak, get that oak together with a burger. Oh my gosh, he's astonishing. He could wipe out five burgers in four minutes, bro. Whoa, get him going. So I don't know. I don't know if that would be like the for me that wouldn't be the greatest compliment. So I do think that there's a part of me that intuitively re- intuitively recognizes that the what I eat and how I eat it isn't my best game. I mean, I got to do it. I got to do it. But do I have to show the world that I'm doing it? Is that what I want to bring to the table? Maybe I have to keep it a little bit under wraps. Maybe I have to keep it like that's not that's not it's a little bit like I don't know. It's like showing the lower part of myself. What are you saying, Brad? Let's hope it's something better this time. We said that a eats at his table. Like, I was just wondering, and he doesn't eat out. Today, like, we have Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Uber Eats, like, yeah. Would, according to Rambam, do you think I think we're okay with Uber Eats. No, I think Uber Eats, because they're coming to you, see. No, but it's still, like, engaging in, like, nice food. Well, okay, look, it depends. Run, this this is an important distinction. Okay. Excellent. It depends, like, when you're doing Uber Eats, like, who you're ordering from. Like if you're ordering from the local fast food, greasiest, tastiest food that will ruin your body and mind. So yeah, not. You could do Uber Eats from local local plant-based Nirvana restaurant with super mahadran hersha. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That could be good. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Ooh, time flies when you drink. Okay, so, so we, we only managed to cover of the parameters of eating. I think we got up to, to four. And there's another six or seven to go. So so this is great. I mean what a what a what a tasty sugya. <laughs>